I was thinking about River today. I told Josh this in the office that we didn't teach him. You can't teach a baby appetite. Are you with me? We didn't teach River appetite. Appetite is natural to him. Right? We don't tell him when to eat. He tells us when he's going to eat. And he will let you know emphatically. I'm about to eat. But appetite is a very strong thing. Therefore, if River's appetite wasn't good, we would know something was wrong in his body. Are you with me? Something, something is wrong in his body for him not to have an appetite. I talked to an intercessor of mine who lives in California, and she's in the last stage of her life, she thinks. She's in her 80s, and she's got lymphoma. And she texted me the other day, and she said, Rick, I've been praying for you, which she's done for the last 14 years. And I told her, thank you. And she, I said, I heard you're sick, and I'm praying for you. And she said, yeah. She said, the bad thing about it is I've lost my appetite. A sure sign of a body dying is a loss of appetite. So I prayed for place for life today and I prayed for Quest Church. Jesus said these words, blessed are the hungry for they shall be filled. And I think one of the underlying conditions of the body of Christ in this hour is a lack of appetite. And the question is, how hungry are you for his presence? I'm not just talking our two churches. I'm talking about the body of Christ. How hungry are we for a visitation of his spirit? How hungry are we for understanding? How hungry are the, the Bible says with all you're getting, get understanding. Have an appetite for it. Have a desire for it. How hungry are you for wisdom? And I'm praying that God just get a hold of our appetites and deal with us and remove any sickness in the body that would cause us to lose our appetites. I'm going to pray that prayer for both churches. Would you lift your hands in this building and everyone watching right there on your couch, in your chair, wherever you are. Get your appetite back. I can't teach you to be hungry. I can't do it. No more than I can teach River to be hungry. You should naturally have an appetite for the presence of God. That just should be who you are. So I pray for you tonight that any sickness in any body be removed that would cause you to lose your appetite for the things of God. Father, I'm not asking for an enhancement. I'm asking for a complete adjustment in all of us that we long for you. As the deer pants for the water, so our soul panteth hard after thee. Oh God, bring our appetite back in Jesus' name. Everyone shout praise the Lord one more time. All right, here we go. Um, I can't tell you how much appreciation I have for zeal. Zeal is attractive to me. David said these words. He says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. 
He said, zeal for the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. As I thought about this series that we're coming to a close teaching on the gospel, a phrase that I said last week came strong in my spirit again today. And here's the phrase, and I hope you wrote it down. And I know we move fast through these things. Therefore, I pray that you go back and listen to these messages again. There's no way you can get all of it in one service. I can already tell you that's impossible. Thank God for archives. You can go back and you can listen to it over and over. And Paul told the church Thessalonica, he said, the things that you've heard from me and learned from me, he said, keep doing them over and over. Repetition is strong, isn't it? So I pray you go back and you listen to it. But this was the phrase, awareness is the beginning of understanding. Awareness is the beginning of understanding. The book of Revelation tells us, John, the Revelator writing says, there were things you lost while you were sleeping. Keith Green wrote a song that said, the church is asleep in the light. And that's where I see the church in the hour that we are living in. Last week, the teaching, many things began to surface last week from the teaching. And uh, we talked about philosophies that have infiltrated the church and philosophies that we have fought against for centuries in the church. And during that teaching, the night of and then the succeeding days, I was able to discuss a lot of things about that teaching with a lot of people. It seemed to pique their interest. And I thought about what made them so curious. One kind of sentence that came out of it all from people was they realized the imbalance of Christianity. The imbalance of Christianity. I said this last week as well that there's a difference in being rigid and being planted. When you're rigid, you're liable to break. When you're planted, you may bend, but you will not break. Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus and he said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened because understanding plants you. What you understand cannot be taken from you. Are y'all with me so far? So what really stood out to me last week is when we got into the philosophy of asceticism, which is really self-denial and self-abasement. It portrays the idea that the more you beat yourself up, the closer you are to God. That's religion. That is the epitome of religion. And we'll talk about that some more. Here's what I believe concerning that. And I pray somebody writes this down. That many people need to limit their liberties. And many people need to liberate their limits. Many people need to limit their liber liberties and then many people need to liberate their limits. I really want to encourage you as mature believers to concentrate on Romans chapter 14 and 15. Really, if you go to 13, it's real good. If you go to 12, actually, it's real good. <laughs> but just kind of read 12, 13, 14, and 15, specifically 14 and 15, 
because I think it will give you some enlightenment, some illumination concerning the balance of Christianity. Basically, Aaron, it says this, there are some things that some people can do that other people's cannot, people cannot do. And it's a matter of conviction. This is why Paul said to the church of Philippi, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, nowhere did I just say it's okay for anyone to sin. So let's make that clear. So this past Sunday, we expounded on 2 Timothy chapter 2, I better hurry, verses 8 through 13. And um, Paul told Timothy, continually remind the people of certain things. And it's very powerful. Go back and listen to that. But our, you know, at the basis of everything we've been teaching is found in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 17, where Paul the apostle said these words, I am set for the defense of the gospel. I am set for the defense of the gospel. And as we, last Wednesday, we covered this idea found in 2 Colossians chapter 2 about hollow philosophies or empty philosophies that have threatened the gospel since the time of Christ. So when Paul says, I'm set for the defense of the gospel, he's talking about I am diametrically opposed to false teachers. I'm diametrically opposed to false apostles. I am diametrically opposed to all winds of doctrine that do not agree with the gospel. So when he says, I'm set to defend the purity and the integrity of the gospel, he's very sincere. That is authentically the apostle Paul. And I believe that the gospel has been attacked and is being attacked in this hour like we've never seen before. We went through those philosophies last week. I just mentioned asceticism, antinomianism, which is against all moral law, Um, Gnosticism, gnosis, prognosis, is the foretelling of what, of what you think your knowledge has informed you concerning a condition. If there's anything that is steeped in the church today is Gnosticism. Gnostics are people that know it all. And they think they know more than everybody else. But I'll teach that some other time. Universalism is everybody's going to heaven. Right? There's many ways to heaven. Pluralism is take a little bit from every religion and build you a happy life. Kind of like a legion of demons living in one guy. <laughs> and then secularism is just basically the infiltration of secular thoughts and methods into the house of God. So the question is, what, what are we facing and fighting? I talked about this Sunday. One of the most current philosophies or ideologies that we're battling today in the nation and in the world is what is called ostracism. It has to do with call out, the call out culture. We talked about it, remember? Or the cancel culture. And um, what it is, is social, it's what we call social shunning. And you do that to neutralize a person who is against your ideology. Um, and it's, it's amazing how effective it has been. Cancel culture. It's so effective that Miss Piggy's being attacked. Pepe Le Pew's gone. Speedy Gonzalez is running for his life. <laughs> Cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support. I want to say that again. Cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support. So I don't believe that cancel culture is just active in the world. I think it's active in the church. Amen. In the pandemic, we saw one-third of all 
church-going believers leave church, period. You know what you call that? Canceling a culture. You withdrew your support. One-third of our people went to other churches, and one-third of our people stayed. That's the church universally during the pandemic. So we're over here screaming about a cancel culture in the world when we're practicing the same thing right in the culture of the church. Hmm. It's called ostracism. And I said Sunday that they are going to try to make us look strange. They're going to make us look unrelatable, irrelevant. They're going to make the church look weird. Believers, they've done that for years, but not like now. So I came prepared with an example. And I said Sunday, you cannot cancel Christ. And you cannot cancel the church. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I speak to the cancel culture and tell them you can cancel whatever you want to cancel. But you ain't going to cancel Christ and you're not going to cancel the church of Jesus Christ. So I saw this today on lifenews.com. And it just... I said, well, there it is right there. The very thing I preached Sunday is right here in lifenews.com today. They said that USA Today says Christian values are archaic. And USA Today wants the Christian school ORU to be banned from the NCAA basketball tournament. So... I'm reading that, and, and I read where the editor for USA Today who wrote the article, he's, this person is known as the race and inclusion editor, said these words, and this is a quote from his article. Following God, purity, and modesty instead of the NCAA is a really bad move by ORU. I don't know if y'all just heard that. He said these words, following God, purity and modesty instead of the NCAA is a really bad move by ORU. The writer scalds the school for recognizing marriage as the union of a man and a woman and for keeping its students tied, listen to what he said, tied to toxic notions of fundamental, fundamentalism that fetishize chastity and abstinence. I was shocked. This sentence alone, following God, purity, and modesty instead of the NCAA is a really bad move by ORU. I just told you Sunday, they are going to ostracize us and they're going to call us weird, unrelatable, and irrelevant. The church is in a fight in this hour. Not that we have not been in a fight since the beginning of the church in Acts chapter number two. But the fight now is different. And here's what I fear. We have been placating Christians with gnosis, knowledge, and we have bypassed and ignored the spirit of revelation to the point that we know we're fighting, but we don't know what we're fighting against. Thus the problem. Uh, man, y'all have to forgive me because I feel the Holy Ghost here now, see. 
And I'm trying to teach, but when I get in this idea right here, see, every culture has its own language. And the problem with the, with the culture of the church is we've got the language of the church, human traditionally, and we don't have the language of the kingdom. If you understood the language of the kingdom, Jesus said these words, the kingdom of God is forcefully advanced and the forceful take hold of it. The violent take hold of it. Um, it's interesting to me that in the culture that we live in, everything is extreme and emphasized in radical ways. And as it is in the world, the church is getting more and more silent. That's not the media's fault. I'm going to go ahead and get into this. Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But here's what we wrestle against. Now, for all you spiritual giants in the building and watching tonight, your rebuttal is always going to be, we're not in a fight because Satan is already defeated. Okay, so why do you preach on spiritual warfare when there's no war? Satan is defeated. But that does not mean his demons are not fighting. There's a purpose behind it, and we're going to get into it tonight. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of what? The darkness. And that word darkness means everything from obscurity to ignorance. <laughs> of the darkness of this world against spiritual, say that word. So what are we fighting? Spiritual, say it again, spiritual. See, here's where we lack in the body of Christ in this hour. We have stopped teaching you to be spiritual. We spend all of our time teaching you to be relatable. So we've become so relatable that we lack revelation. We're telling you how to fit instead of fight. Let's talk about them because we read that scripture all the time and no one even knows what it means. I'm just going to extract three powerful words and work on it for you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, number one, first word, say it, principalities. What is that? A principality is a strong man. A principality is the chief in order, time, and rank. He's a chief, he's a chief, the spiritual chief in a region, a place. Hmm. Literally means to be first in rank. The one, a principality, what is the root word of principality? Principle. Principle. The one with the influence. Don't miss that. A principality is the principle, the one with the influence. A principality is the one that carries and that pushes the influence. The influence Paul uses to the church at Ephesus is specifically wickedness. He's going to talk about this region of Ephesus by saying that the strong man is named the beast of Ephesus. 
Now, from an apostle saying that kind of language, that's strong because he didn't say the wimp of Ephesus. He said the beast of Ephesus, which means I know I'm in a fight. Are y'all with me so far? So that's a principality. That's a principle. He's a strong man. Powers is the second word. We wrestle against powers. That's the token of control or that's the delegated influence. That's not the influence. It's the delegated influence. What are are we talking? Spiritual language here. See, you've not been taught this stuff. This This is archaic in the church because nobody talks about this stuff no more. We just know we're fighting and we need to love each other. But we are uneducated. When he talks about powers, this is the tools. Powers are the tools that the influence, the principle, uses to exert his way or his method. The word influence is the act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion or force or direct exercise of command. Influence happens without you knowing it many times. That's why he talked about powers are driven by principalities. Principality is the strong man. Powers is the tools that the strong strong man uses to get his influence on people. That can be generationally, that can be educationally, that can be in a school system, that can be in a court, judicial system. So he says, you know, there's principalities, there's powers. So what is another tool? Let's think about it. Smart device. It's influence being exerted over your children in a very passive way. They're just sitting there scrolling through Snapchat, sending pictures you don't know about because they disappear as soon as they are sent. These are called applications. They're tools that push the influence of wickedness, principality, the power, and then rulers. In the Greek, the word is cosmos. It's the world system. It's a systematic order or arrangement. Okay, so root, there's principalities, powers, and rulers. If powers are the tools, then rulers is the application of the influence. Because it's a pattern. It's a cosmos. It's an order of the system of the world. That's why James is going to, say, going to say this. Don't you know that friendship with the world, help me in the building, is enmity with God. Whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of, the God, of God. Don't mistake that. He's not saying take the salt out of the earth. This is where we are uneducated. I'm shocked at how far Christianity is just sunk in the mode of education. What happened to this kind of teaching? By the way, for those of you who do not understand this vocabulary, this is apostolic teaching. There's a difference in the office of the apostle and the functioning of the apostolic. 
The apostolic, the apostle is the office. The apostolic is the opportunity to produce the expressions of the office. You can have an apostolic church and not have an apostle in the house. The people got to operate. What is the, what is the apostolic functioning of Christianity? Read the book of Acts. Hebrews chapter 3 teaches us that Jesus is the high apostle. Yes. So all through the gospels, it's Jesus being active in the apostolic. But when you get to the book of Acts, it's the church being active in the apostolic. And when you teach that the church in Acts is not like the Christ of the gospels, that's a false gospel. It's a misrepresentation of Christ. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So he said that the systems of the world stand against the order of God. That's what he says when he says friendship with the world. He's not talking about being like the world. He's saying following the patterns, the systems, the knowledge of the world. That's enmity with God. You can't practice the principles of the world and practice the principles of God at the same time. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Teach on, Pastor Rick. So the question is, as the church, how do we fight? I still want to go back and teach the governing church called the Apostolic Church. I'm going to do that one, one day. Because the, the church, need, oh Lord, the church needs to be educated. I'm telling you, if you don't know what the apostolic governing church is in a region, you need some education. Okay. So the question is, how do we fight it? Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the what? What's the series called? The gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Watch what he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the, say the word, power. say it like you mean it, power. power, put it in the comments, power, it is the power of God, it is the what, power of God unto salvation, that's what the gospel is, power, the word power is dunamis, and it has a ton of meanings, dynamite is one. Dynamite is the English word for dunamis. It's explosive. The gospel is explosive. If you preach the gospel, it will explode. The gospel is the power of God, the dunamis of God. It means the miracle of God himself. The gospel is the miracle of God. The miracle is God coming to you to the earth in the flesh and calling himself Jesus. That's the gospel. The power of God unto salvation. Salvation is simply rescuing you, delivering you, and protecting you. Let's move on. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. The weapons of our warfare, I'm going to give you three more words here, are not... They are not what? Colonel. They're not in the flesh. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Strongholds. Casting down. 
imaginations, Lord have mercy, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And it brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let's work on three words again, shall we? Shall we pull three more out? Say warfare. The weapons of our what? Warfare. Here it is, stratia. It's the Greek word, stratia. Is the Greek word. It's the expedition or campaign of a military service. One commentary says Paul likens his contest with the difficulties that oppose him in the discharge of his apostolic duties as warfare. That when I want to let go of my apostolic duty to exercise it, there's a contest. And I call that warfare. It's from the root word. Here's the root word. It's stratu, stratomai. The plan to execute or the way a commander leads soldiers to war for battle. Put them two words together and you know what English word you get? Strategy. Boy, that's strong. You know what every Sunday morning service ought to be? A strategy service. This is how you are going to kick the devil's all week long. This is how you're going to win over depression all week long. There's a strategy coming from a commander with plans for your victory. Fight for your victory and tell the devil, I know you already defeated, but this demon of depression, this demon of oppression, this demon of discouragement, this demon of suicide, I bind it in Jesus' name. Well, I wish you could hear me tonight. Lord, have mercy. Tell your neighbor, get a strategy. And the strategy comes from the word. It's the science and art of employing military forces to meet the enemy in combat while you know you already have the advantage. Having the advantage and implementing the strategy is two different things. You can have the advantage and never get on the field and lose the game. I can preach all week, but if you do not apply it to your life, I've wasted my breath and you wasted your time. But if you grab that strategy and go to war throughout the week, you win. That's warfare, y'all. So if you say, what is warfare? I just gave it to you. Go back and listen to it again. Go, go back and listen to this message again. <laughs> oh, Lord. So what did he say? The weapons of our what? Warfare. They are not what? Carnal. They are mighty to God, through God to the pulling down of what? Let's take that one. Let's take that one. Stronghold. The fortress or the castle. It's the stronghold is the fortified place. Whew. So what are we battling in warfare? Strongholds. You know how long it, builds, it takes to build a sandcastle on the, on the beach? That's what the enemy does in your life. He just takes his time. And before long, he has a castle. This castle is called learned behavior. And he builds it by one piece of sand at a time. What's, what is the name for a piece of sand? Grain. A grain. There you go. I knew y'all were going to get a grain of sand. 
For every castle, there's a strong man. What was that? Strong man? Who's the strong man? The principal. The strong man oversees the castle. Strongholds are fortified regions and territories. Watch this. They include geography and generations. I guarantee you if you look at your life, your family all fought the same battle. One family filled with this kind of battle. Another family filled with this kind of fight. And it's passed down from one generation to another generation. I saw daddy beating mama. So when my wife comes at me, I beat my wife. You say, man, is it that, si- it is that simple? Learn behavior. Learn behavior comes through sight, not just sound. We repeat what we see, not just what was said. Boy, y'all missing this here. So Papa was an alcoholic. Daddy's an alcoholic. Now what am I? An alcoholic. Because I saw a pattern modeled before me every day. And I thought that was life. I ride through some of these broke down neighborhoods and I look at the way some people raise their kids and I think, my God, are you kidding me? And we are wondering what's happening to our nation? They only repeating what they saw. Here's what strongholds do. They do two things. Number one, they keep people from knowledge and they keep people from revelation of truth. It'll, it'll fortify you from knowledge. It'll close you in from the revelation of truth. It'll hold you from seeing truth and revelation. That's what a stronghold does. So you just in a cycle. You look just like your papa. You look just like your daddy. You got the same attitude. You even brag about it. I'm a Hawkins. I remember them days. Seventh child in my family. You fight and you go crazy. That was the way. And it was ingrained in us. We saw daddy do it. We saw our older brothers do it. So what did we do? We did what they did. And the enemy just keeps you fortified right there. Number two, strongholds prevent people from walking in obedience. There's warfare. There's strongholds. I better hurry. Third one. Oh, man, the clock's out. Imaginations. You know what? Y'all leave if you need to leave. I ain't stopping that. I'm, I'm going to teach till I'm done. Third word, imaginations. Pulling down strongholds, casting down what? Every imagination, there's a link between imaginations and strongholds. Here's imaginations. The Greek word is logismos. It's where you get the word logos, words. Reasoning. The word literally means reasoning, thought, or logic. See, here's the problem. When you get God, when you start trying to figure out God logically and analytically, you're already in a losing battle. The Father is seeking those who will worship him in Our war is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual things. 
Imaginations, reasoning, thought, or logic. It's the way people think based on their tradition. It's the way people think based on their experience. It's the way people think based on their past teaching. Christians. Christians. We think this way because we were taught this way. If we don't sing at least two hymns, it's got to go exactly like you were taught it was supposed to go for it to be God. And if it don't happen like you thought and were taught, then it can't be God. So if God shows up and wrecks the church in the first song, you freak out. Because you've been taught to be relatable. Hmm. All right. This imagination or this reasoning is supported and held up by learned behavior. A stronghold can be supported by demonic influence or by human tradition. It's not always the devil, y'all. It's some stuff that we just won't let go of. So the result is always two things, ignorance and rebellion. Imaginations and strongholds are also known as mindsets. A mindset is a fixed and rigid thought process that is resistant to change. You, a, a mean, judgmental Christian is just as, is just as dangerous as a blatant sinner. But I was raised this way. Yeah, and that's why nobody likes your stinking tail. That's why well, nobody listening to you because you're so mean to everybody. You think serving God means I got to be mean to people, especially fellow family members in the church. I'll leave it alone. Resistant to change. The New English Bible says it like this. We demolish. Okay, we, now, so far we've been in ankle, you know, knee deep. We went knee deep. But tell your neighbor we're about to Get out in the deep now. Here we go. Right. I'm going to show you how this reads in the New English Bible. Listen to it. We demolish sophistries and all that rears its proud head against the knowledge of God. What is a sophist? It's a Greek philosopher. Incredibly educated in dialect, argumentative discourses. That is a sophist. But what is sophistries? We demolish sophistries. It is the deliberate use of a false argument with the intent to trick someone or a false or untrue argument. Basically, we demolish deception. John said it like this. The son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the enemy. What was the first work of the enemy? Deception. The greatest sophist that ever lived, you find him in Genesis chapter 3. He comes in the form of a serpent. Uh, a serpent and he deceives Eve. And his deception is so strong as a sophist that her dialect or her discourse or dialogue, I should say, to her husband convinced him to be deceived. Are y'all in the building right here? Have I lost you already? Sophistries have been here from the beginning of time. Yes. 
But how dare you, you know, be taught this kind of stuff? Just be relatable. Be relatable. Being relatable does not make you effective. When you get this stuff in your spirit, you talk to devils and they back up. You walk into cultures that are being ruled by principality and when you walk in, the whole principle shakes. The whole principality and the ruler and the power, everything quivers because you walked in the room. I'll stop. I'll stop. All right. Sophistry is the art of using cunning rhetoric, talk, or trickery to mislead people. You better watch who you're listening to. The power of a spiritual influence is its ability to argue, to reason, or to influence people to believe they cannot change or they do not need to change. Either you cannot change or you don't need to change. I'm going to read it again. The, powerful, the power of a spiritual influence is its ability to argue, reason, or influence people to believe they cannot change or that they do not need to change. I'm going to go back and I'm going to say a word. Are you ready? Spiritual. Everything I'm teaching you is spiritual. You're never going to understand this logically. You're never going to understand it analytically. Spirit discerns spirit. Our greatest combat to the current atmosphere in this nation is for God to show up. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Everybody say these three words. Turn the tide. I'm going to teach this part and I'm done. 1 Corinthians 2.4. And my speech and my preaching, listen carefully, y'all, was not like a sophist. 1 Corinthians 2.4. My speech and my preaching was not sophistry. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. My speech and my preaching was in demonstration of the spirit and of what? Power. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the what? Power. Come on in the building. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith would not stand in the sophistry wisdom of men but in the power of God. I'm going to say it again. Our greatest combat to the current atmosphere in this nation is for God to show up and demonstrate his power and you can't figure it out. That's what's lacking. We do not lack knowledge. We do not lack any. What we lack is power. Somebody hit the power switch. And we're okay to live in the dark. You're not going to fight. You can't even fight Generation Z with knowledge. They are smarter than you. The millennial generation is smarter than we are. I'm sorry. It's just true. They learn like that. They've been taught to learn quick. You were taught to Find the book, open the book, go to the page, read the chapter. They push a button. Y'all are mad because I said that, but it's true. 
We are in the smartest generation of time. You can't battle them with reasoning. You can't fight them with knowledge. There's only one thing that can combat what you see going on in this world. And that is the power of God has to show up and shake people to their very core. Because they cannot argue with experience. They can argue with education. They can't argue with experience. They can't argue with an encounter. You are not smart enough to dismiss a move of God. You are not smart enough to dismiss the power of God in the church. Here's what I say. Bring back the bearership of the birthing of the church. What is that? When the church was birthed in the book of Acts, it was birthed with miracles. It was birthed with deliverance. It was birthed with people receiving the power of the Holy Ghost. And you shall receive after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Somebody ought to throw a hand up and shout, bring the power back. Well, when the power shows up, the agenda goes out the window. It's a manifestation of God's power. So here's where we are and I'm done. Second, Second Timothy 3, verse 1. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection. Truce breakers, no loyalty. False accusers, incontinent, which means wild. Fierce, despisers of, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. You ain't ready for what he says. Turn away from them. If you're not interested in the power of God showing up, moving by his spirit, I got one move for you. Turn away from them. Turn away from people that resist the power. Turn away from people that say it don't take all that manifestation and demonstration. It don't take all that emotion. It don't take all that. Yes, it does. It's biblical. Read the book of Acts. It's demonstrative. It's crazy. People that are crippled are walking and running and leaping. People are being healed by handkerchiefs. But we got to figure it out. That don't make sense. You can take a handkerchief and pray over it. I don't know about that. Watch what he says. From this, for this, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women. Laden with sins, led away with divers lust. Whoo, preachers get in trouble when they get out from underneath the anointing. When they start denying power. Boy, oh, for a preacher that would quit patronizing you and flirt with your wife. Oh, for a preacher. Ever learning. 
This is what he says about this generation. They're ever learning. Y'all mad at me because I'm going over? What are they doing? Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I say, Lord, I want, I want to see a move of God like that dude at Gadarenes. He's naked in the graveyard, chained. He's crazy, man. Jesus shows up in Mark chapter 5. The Bible says this man is from Decapolis. Deca is 10. Decapolis is cities, 10 cities. And every one of those st cities are steeped in philosophy. You go and study them yourself. The number 10 is a complete circle. It's a cycle. This guy is caught in a cycle of philosophy, and it made him crazy. He kept trying to figure it out analytically and logically. It made him crazy to the point he's living now naked in the graveyard. He's living in memories. You know where the church is today? I remember when God. And all we're doing is cycling services. We just cycle services. Ain't nobody getting delivered. Ain't nobody crippled getting up. Ain't nobody being delivered from demons and healed and restored and speaking in tongues. God forbid you speak in tongues. Power of God fall on you. You fall out on the floor. God forbid that. I'll stop. The answer to the dialogue is demonstration. I'm tired of the dialogue. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. I'm tired of smooth, silver-tongued preachers that can talk you into anything, talk you out of anything. That's trickery. I'm tired of seeing preachers use pulpits to lay their pockets full of money. They preach the gospel for gain and not for the glory of God. See, this generation ain't ready for this kind of preaching. And you know what they'll say? I'm leaving that church because I do not understand half that man's vocabulary. You know why? Because you you're not hungry. You don't understand my vocabulary because you're not disciplined enough to study. I'm leaving because he's too deep. We got, I preached Sunday and was bulldog determined I'm going to preach an encouraging message. I'm going to encourage, I told him before church, I said I'm going to preach them people so encouraged they're going to jump out that building. They're going to run out that building. I'm going to preach them happy. That's what we used to call it. Preach them happy. Preach the hell out of them and preach them happy. So I come in here with that kind of attitude. Soon as service is over. Josh tells me, well, we got a call. Somebody leaving, the couple's leaving the church. Well, that's not unusual. We got about that every week. But why, Josh? Because they said, you're too political. I don't remember saying nothing about politics on Sunday. But here's the thing. I've had people leave because I'm too political. I've had more people leave because I'm not political enough. You know what? I'm just praying for the power. You know, you know what I'm saying? I just want, am I right, Josh? Just what y'all going to do if the power shows up? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the dunamis dynamite power of God. There's a generation with a form of godliness that denies the power. Always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of truth. Because if you ever came to truth, you'd be made free. And you wouldn't be living in limits. You'd be living in spiritual liberty. I love y'all. Let's stand up and give Jesus Christ a good hand, shall we? You know, that's why I love Jesus. 
Jesus was just, Jesus came and wrecked religion. He's walking through a cornfield with his disciples on a Sunday. And he says, hey, boys, get y'all some of that corn. Soon as he gets to town, they still gnawing on the corn cob. And the Pharisees come up to him, you're not Christ. Your disciples are eating corn on the Sabbath. You know what they were complaining about? The labor it took to pick the corn was illegal, was not religious. Doing that on Sunday, you laboring to pick you some corn. And Jesus said, eat your corn, boys. Get it all in your teeth because I am here to smash religion right in the face. Jesus walks in a calm synagogue and casts a demon out of the boy and the whole synagogue goes crazy. And you know what we want? One hour service, 59 minutes and 30 seconds to placate you with more knowledge about being relatable. If the Holy Ghost showed up, you'd pass out. If the power showed up, have you ever touched electricity? It'll shock you. That's what I'm praying. God, send a shock to the body of Christ. Send a shock to us. Amen. Well, if you love him, shout praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, let's give God praise. All the way in San Antonio. Amen. Guys, listen, before you leave, I want to pray for you. Everyone, lift your hands, please. Wherever you are in your living room, bedroom, wherever you are watching this, lift your hands. Awareness is the beginning of understanding. You were made aware tonight. Now be responsible and study. Quit just saying I'm in a fight. Know what you're fighting. There's philosophies and ideologies we're fighting today. Those are called influences from principles in regions and geographical places and in generations. You don't have to fight that same ideology and stronghold that your grandfather fought. Just because he was a drug addict don't mean you have to be one. Just because he was abusive does not mean you. Just because your daddy was a liar and a cheater doesn't mean you have to be one. That's called a curse. And right now in the name of Jesus, we break that curse in Jesus' name. And we break that cycle in Jesus' name. We break it in the, come on somebody, in the name of Jesus. It's broke. You are free. You are free tonight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I pray the power comes back the house of God. If you're in agreement with me, give him praise one last time, everybody. Amen.